Well, good morning, Community Heights family, and those of you who might be here, family, that are in town, we welcome you this morning. It's good to see all of you. We're starting this morning on the book of Luke, and uh, Luke is one of the four Gospels, and I'm excited to go through this because I have not actually taught through the book of Luke before. So this will be the first time for me. Uh, this morning as uh, Pastor John was announcing the new series, he said it was from the book of Acts. Well, close, because the same guy wrote both Luke and Acts, and uh, uh, I'm excited to, to begin that. Now, when I was in your seat, I would hear a new series, and it would be in a particular book. And I hadn't read that book in, you know, who knows, sometimes years, Unless you read through the Bible every year, there's books of the Bible that you haven't read for a long time. And I've got to be honest with you, I've been in church long enough that, you know, I'll hear about a new series and I'll just be kind of like, oh, you know, another series. Just another of how the endless series, sermon series that we do in church. And uh, we always think that the one we're in is the best one. And uh, the pastor always gets up and he says, this one's going to change your life. It's going to be the best series. It's going to do all this stuff. Well, I don't know if it's going to. But that's up to you, right? Because <laughs> that's not up to me. Now, I've got the best material, but then again, it's me presenting it. So that tempers it a little bit. And uh, it's the best material, but then again, it's us taking it, and then we're going to do what we want to with it. So let me get started on my notes here. And, and the notes on the back of your bulletin I wrote this, uh, this profound uh, paragraph. Luke is an awesome book that tells us a ton of stuff about Jesus and why in the world he came, who he was, what he did, and why he did it. And as we enter this series, there is one overarching question that I would like to make sure that we answer, that I got to answer for me and that you have to answer for you. And the question isn't... Uh, the question is not, what does the text say? I don't think the question is even, what does what is said even mean? So there's what it says and there's what it means. But I think the question is, what does what it says and what it means, how does that affect my life? How does it affect me? So what? How am I, how am I going to interact with this, with this text and how is it going to affect me? Not that we're the center of the universe and not that every passage was written just to us, just today, for just this moment. But the Bible should affect us. It should make a difference in our lives. Otherwise, we're just doing time. You know, we're just coming to church and we're sitting and listening and doing our thing and then we're checking it off, we're going out, we're going to the next thing. So I hope that Luke um, makes a difference in my life and your life. I have noticed that the series I'm currently working on is my favorite series. I've noticed that as I'm reading Scripture and studying it, it is at that moment and that time my favorite. Now, this past, oh, I don't know, within the last three, four years, I've gone through John, Acts, Romans, the minor epistles, uh, all 12. I'm not the minor epistles. 
There are some minor epistles, though, aren't there? Why don't we call them minor epistles? They're small. No, the minor prophets, we went through all 12 of those. And when going through each of them, at that time, it was my favorite because it was good. And I already know. Luke is like that. It's like that tenderloin on the grill that you've, that you've prepared and marinated and it's smoking and it's, you know it's going to taste so good. That's what Luke is to me uh, right now. And, and I, think that, uh, I think that how it affects us, how it affects us is going to be key to whether or not it's worth going through. Because if it isn't going to affect us at all, it's really not worth going through. So that's going to be the key. Now, this past Wednesday night, the night before uh, Thanksgiving, my son let me know that he had locked his keys in his car. And his keys were in his car, in his garage. He says, Dad, I've had this car for five and a half years. I've had one key. And I've never locked it in my car before. I, I don't know what happened. I just, I locked, I locked it. And it's in there. So all our family is gone. His wife was going to be working the next day. So I'm going to Doug's house on Thanksgiving Day. And his little boy, Cash, with a K, is going to be there. And the three of us are going to do Thanksgiving together. So Wednesday night, I was cooking the turkey and getting, the, getting all the fixings so that come the next morning, I'd be ready to take it on the road and take it to his house. So I decided, while cooking and preparing, I'm going to look at a YouTube video as to how to get the keys out of his car. So, you know, they've got YouTube videos about everything, right? So... I got on, you know, how to get keys out of whatever. And there's this video, that, a lot of videos, but a couple that were really good. And I thought, well, this is how you do it. So Doug has an 03 Buick LeSabre. It's white. It's a grandma car. And I have an 02 Buick LeSabre. It's white. It's a grandma car. They're both the same. Uh, and I thought, well, I can practice. I can practice on mine. And then tomorrow, then I'll be able to go and I'll be the hero dad on Thanksgiving. So I literally took the laptop. Now, this is guy. I took the laptop. I put it on top of my car. And I've got the, I've got the little wedge thing. And I've got the, uh, the wire, of the, the, the hanger. I actually had a hanger that was metal. You know, they still have those in places. So I undid it. And, and I was working on it. And so, you know, well, it's like, I locked my key in the car. I locked the key in the car. I'm like, well, duh, well, duh. so Doug's making fun of me the next day. So, Dad, you're there like, well, let's see, Doug's got his key in his car, and his door is locked, so, you know. So I did the same thing. So without the keys, you're kind of helpless. I think one of the keys as we go through Luke is that we understand how it affects us how it affects us. So let's jump in quick. There's some things you got to know about the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote both. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. He was a probably, probably he was a doctor uh, and at times a traveling companion of Paul. So when he wrote Luke, he would sometimes go in and out of third person plural saying they and first person plural saying we. So at times, Luke was a part of the group he was writing about. So Luke traveled with Paul, and he was a companion. He was a co-worker with Paul. He wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. He actually wrote more words in the New Testament than Paul did. So Luke, the gospel of Luke about Jesus, and then the Acts of the Apostles, I mean, this is a, a two-volume history 
of Jesus and the church that he started. It is our history. It's the beginning of our story as the body of Christ. Luke is, by the way, the longest book in the New Testament. Longer than Matthew, longer than Revelation. It's the longest. Luke was a little wordy. Uh, The Gospels were likely written in the order that you see them in our English Bibles. So Matthew probably wrote, now none of us were around back then, right? So we don't really know for positive. But all the evidence, and most scholars would agree, that Matthew wrote first. And he wrote about Jesus, the Messiah, the king uh, uh, from the line of uh, Abraham and David. And Matthew wrote 28 chapters. And then Mark wrote a much shorter uh, treatise, and there's only 16 chapters. And Mark, Mark comes at it from a very different angle. And then Luke writes his, and he takes from both Matthew and Mark. But Luke has a lot of material that's not found in Matthew or Mark. Uh, he's got more material than the other two, and some that doesn't come from either one of them. It's, it's uniquely his. And then John comes up at the end, and he writes a completely different gospel. So the gospels were probably written in the order that they come in the Bible. And Luke goes into the greatest detail about the life of Jesus, and like I said, he has content not found in either. Let's look at the first four verses of the gospel, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many have undertaken, Luke writes, to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, Luke is really helpful. He just kind of, in the little prologue here, he just kind of lays out why he's writing his gospel. So now let's look. There's just four verses. Let's look at them. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And so the title of the series is Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled what God had been talking about for centuries. Jesus was the fulfillment for Israel of all that God had been planning throughout the Old Testament. It all flows down, and Jesus is the destination of all of the Old Testament travels. They all empty into Lake Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the fulfillment. And so Luke says he's going to write about all these things that have been fulfilled among us through the person of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' work, there, there, are the, there are these things that have been fulfilled, these things that have been accomplished. Verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now, that's what makes this book so different from other books, is that eyewitnesses, so many eyewitnesses, either had input into it or actually wrote it. So the veracity, the trustworthiness of the Bible is so much greater. Having said that, let's be honest. There are some discrepancies among the Gospels. Did you know that? There, are, there really are. There, one says it was this way, and the other one says it was that way. One says it was blue, and the other one says it was red. 
One says there were this many, the other one says there were that many. One says this happened first, the other one said that happened first. How many of you have ever read a news account in the newspaper uh, about an event that you actually were at? How many of you have? Okay, now, how many of you saw an error or a misrepresentation in the article? Right? Yeah, just, a, I mean, I have never been to anything or read something that wasn't exactly accurate. Now, there was a young lady who came from the Newton Daily News and came in and met with me here because she was writing a story, you know, new pastor, blah, blah, blah. And so she comes in, a delightful, wonderful young lady. Her name is Kayla, Kayla somebody. I don't remember the last name off the top of my head. We had a fantastic conversation. She wrote up something that was very lies all lies, very complimentary about me and very nice for our church and our ministry. There were a couple little tiny little things that weren't exactly accurate because as we were talking, she was listening and she was taking notes and she was interpreting what I was saying and she was writing it down and then afterwards she had to interpret the notes that she wrote at the time and then write. So, but now, I'm not talking about those, I'm not talking about errors in here that all of a sudden make it untrustworthy. Have you ever thought about the fact that God used people to write the Bible? And in doing so, he didn't, turn, he didn't put them into some kind of, you know, trance. He didn't channel his word through people. His word went through people without taking away their personality, their perspective, their vantage point, their experiences, um, and they wrote. And so Matthew, he wants to tell the story of Jesus, and he's going for a certain purpose. He's writing his account. And he writes it from his vantage point, from his seat at the table, from his position on the team. And then Mark, Mark writes completely different. And then Luke decides he's going to write. He has a completely different angle, different perspective, a different set of facts in his head. And see, so God's word contains the truth. It is without error from God, but it's filtered through people. And so you go through the different gospels, like I said, and, and you're, you're going to have to reconcile, well, is it this way or that way? Well, yeah. Yeah, from this author's perspective, it's, it's this way. And he sees it like this, and he's presenting it like this. There's, there's all kinds of considerations that go into Scripture. And so the Scripture isn't this one-dimensional thing that, okay, and, and people will look at it and say, well, here's a mistake here, and here's a mistake here, and that. It's not that easy to determine these things. No, it's not. In fact, it's a lot easier just to trust God and know that God, hey, God used people to write this, and it came out this good. We should be pretty happy about that, right? So Luke, Luke, well, let's now get, let's get to the next, uh, the next verse. With this in mind, since I myself, Luke says, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. The word for God in the Greek is theos. And the word uh, phileo is the word to love, or, or to love, it's, a, it's an affectionate love, and this, is the, this name means a lover of God. So this guy loved God. This guy might have even supported Luke in this journalistic project. He might have even 
been uh, uh, supporting him financially by other means, allowing Luke to put this together. That's unknown. That's one of the conjectures out there. But Luke says, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. From the beginning. From, and he starts here in Luke with the birth of John the Baptist. From the beginning. The one who would be the forerunner of Jesus. The one who would call out, he is coming, he is coming. Now, you're still three minutes ago thinking, did he say that there's mistakes in the Bible? It's good to keep people a little bit off balance, isn't it? There are, um, <clears throat> here's what I love about the Bible. Oh my goodness. Number one, it's all I got. <clears throat> you can, man, you can study and study and study and study. You'll never get to the bottom. You'll never get to the bottom. And the more you study with an open heart before God and with honest academic rigor, the more amazed you are at Scripture. You, the more you study, you don't be, you're not like, oh, there, there really are a lot of mistakes. No, 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 no. The more you study, the more you realize, wow, there's no way in the world people could have wrote this off the top of their head. It, it's humanly impossible. It's the only book on the planet. It's literally impossible that people could have written this when they wrote it and said the things that they said all out of the top of their head. It is, it is a God-ordained book but it's written by people and it's been copied over the years by people. There's so, I would love to get into the whole translation thing and the language things. It's really amazing. It's fascinating. And the Bible is a a wonder of wonders. Um, And the reason that Luke wrote it, verse four, uh, that he wrote his gospel was so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Man, I want you, Theophilus, I want you to know you've heard all this stuff There's authorized versions and there's unauthorized versions, right? There's a lot of things that were written about Jesus that never made it into the Bible. They never became scripture. But they were people that were writing this stuff down. They were writing history as it was happening. And you've read a lot of this. And Theophilus, I want you to be certain of the things that you believe. So, we're right at the front end of Luke. Right at the beginning. So there's some themes in Luke. I want to share with you quickly five themes that we're going to see as we go through Luke. We're going to see these themes recurring over and over. And then I want to share with you three things that I think that as we approach this book, there's three things I think that we need to remember and learn from this book. So five themes. Number one, Jesus is vindicated over and over. He actually is the Messiah. He actually was the Son of God. Even though he was wrongly accused, he was wrongly condemned, they wrongly put him to death, Jesus is vindicated. And Luke writes about that over and over and over. Jesus, the Son of God, the King, the Messiah. Number two, Jesus is the fulfillment of what God has been doing in the past. He's the fulfillment. Everything that was written about finds its fulfillment in him. Here's the coolest one. I love this. This is one of my favorite. You, you read about this. Oh, you read about this throughout the Old Testament, then, but then you read about it in the New Testament. Well, that's real good, right? You read about it in the Bible. The Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Jesus is Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. And he is Sabbath. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you what? 
I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are pursuing religion and working so hard to be accepted by God. Find your rest in me, because I did it all for you, and I give you rest. He's the Sabbath rest. He is the reality of the picture of that seventh day. That seventh day finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. He's the fulfillment of what God has been doing and all that the Old Testament talks about. Another theme in Luke is that Jesus talks a lot about his relationship with the Father. And in doing so, we see the triune God. We see how the triune God interacts with, it, with each other. We see how we can have a relationship with the Father through Jesus. And we see, we kind of get an inside, an inside glimpse of the Trinity as it's interacting and in its relationships with one another. You know, the reason why God wants us to have relationships with each other is because he is relationship. He is in relationship with himself. The triune God in perfect harmony and in loving relationship with himself. Now, on our human level, it sounds a little psychotic, right? No, 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 no. No. It's the triune God, and he makes us in his image. And we have the same desires for relationship that he created in us. Number four, a fourth theme. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God and how it is the reality that King Jesus wants his followers to live in. Some call it the upside-down kingdom. So he talks a lot, it's a theme throughout the book about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Matthew uses the word kingdom a few more times than Luke, but not many more. And besides that, those two books use the term kingdom in the, in the New Testament more than any others. But Luke talks about it um, in number five, the fifth theme. Luke presents, he presents an implicit message. It's not explicit, it's not outward. It's implicit as you read it, you feel it and you see it throughout his writings, that the reader belongs in this story. The reader, we belong in this story. It's not just this, it's not this thing that does not affect us. We are unaffected by it. No, we belong, we're part of the story. We're part of it in the existence of Jesus as both Messiah and Savior. It actually affects us. It makes a difference in our lives. See, because I... I don't think any of you either are are concerned about an academic approach to Scripture. You know, well, well, Jesus, the Son of God, fulfills 300 prophecies in the Old Testament predicted by the Messiah. Therefore, apologetically speaking, Jesus is the Messiah. I, I don't care about that. I don't care about how many of this and how much of that. In terms of academic information... But he really did fulfill all of those. Oh my goodness. He moved heaven and earth. And God, the living God, the transcendent other, became one of us. He became, he became a person with flesh and blood to come and get us, people with flesh and blood, and to have a relationship with us. He really did that. And he really did fulfill... He did fulfill all the commands, and he fulfilled all the prophecies. Jesus really did that to make a, to make a huge difference in our lives. It's, it's, 
so very impacting on us. So those are the five themes. (laughs) Three things to learn and remember from Luke. Number one, something we need to learn and remember. Jesus is the fulfillment, not just of the Old Testament, but of all things, and we will only and ever find our own fulfillment in him. What are you looking to fulfill your life, to fill your life with and to be fulfilled by? You know, where are you looking for your desires to be satisfied? When will you be happy? Where Where will you find your fulfillment? See, we find our fulfillment in the one who fulfilled everything from the Old Testament, who was the answer to Israel, who was the answer to the world, we find our fulfillment in him. And as we look at Luke, we have to learn that this one who fulfilled all of the Old Testament is our fulfillment. Because if we're looking anywhere else, we're going to be not satisfied. I was talking to the sheriff, uh, Jasper County Sheriff the other day. Many of you know him. Um, and we were saying, man, whatever happened to good old-fashioned greed as the motivation for crime? You know, today crime is often driven by substance, substance abuse. And you name the substance, all kinds of substances. Greed is hardly a driver for crime anymore. If you took the substance out, you could cut the police force in half. But what are people using substances for? What are we using substances for? Let me change that. We're not satisfied, and so we're reaching for something to give us fulfillment, give us satisfaction, something to satiate our thirst and our hunger for something different. There's an area of our life that just isn't fulfilled. You know, my dad was an alcoholic, and, you know, I have great empathy and and compassion for him. And for anybody else who's using substances. You know I'm a substance abuser. You do know that. I'm ser- I mean, I struggle with it. It'll kill me quicker than some of the substances that we rail against. You know, food, cheeseburgers, right? I'm serious. You know it. We laugh about it, but you know it. I don't know. I think Big Macs are going to put you in the ground quicker than cigarettes. I don't know. I'm just saying. Or it's going to keep the cardiac doctors, uh, you know, in, in business. Substances. We're all searching. We're all, we, we want our desires to be satisfied. And we see in Luke that Jesus is the fulfillment. Luke articulates, number two, the second thing I hope we can learn and remember, is that Luke articulates the kingdom values of Jesus. The values of the king that he expects his followers to adopt. What are those values? We're going to talk about them. Because I think those values, the values of the king, trump our current culture and our current society. The values of the king have to become our values because I think they're the keys. They're the keys to finding fulfillment in Jesus. Adopting his values are the keys to us finding fulfillment in him. Otherwise, you know what we are? We're just a guy standing in a garage with his keys locked in his car. We, we can't do anything. We're, we're speaking of that. So what do I do? What do I do when that happens? 
you call AAA, right? So it's 11.15 at night. It's the night before Thanksgiving. I feel so bad because I know these guys that have these AAA accounts. I feel so bad I'm going to have to bother somebody. I, 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 I'm out of options. So I did try. I mean, I tried everything. I couldn't. Do you know the buttons they have on these things? No, you cannot. You can't use coat hangers anymore. You need like a steel rod to get that button to go into the door. So I called AAA. They said, okay, we can send somebody. And when we figure it out, we'll call and let you know that they're on their way. So she calls me about 15 minutes later. She said the first person we called couldn't do it. The first company, they couldn't do it. But the second one, some nearing something, whatever, they can do it. So I'm waiting, and this big flatbed tow truck thing pulls up in front of the house. You know, beep, 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 11.30, 11.40 at night. And um, I go out, I push, you know, open the garage door, and I'm standing there like, you know, kind of sheepish. And the guy gets out, he starts up the driveway, hey, Pastor Jeff. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and uh, Carrie Nearing, some of you know Carrie. Um, I kind of know Carrie. He's a sure tell relation, actually, to my, to my daughter-in-law. Um, so he comes up, so helpful, so helpful. He gets out this apparatus. You can get this apparatus on Amazon, by the way, for not much money. Go into business for yourself, just helping dummies like me. So he gets it out, he wedges in there, he, you know, boop, and we're all set. And he said, so you're going to your son's tomorrow? He said, um, I said, no, you, you're going to need this. He said, no, I've got an extra set. <laughs> oh, you're awesome. So puts it in my car. Yep, I showed up on Thanksgiving Day, baby. I was the hero. We got into that car with no problem. So the keys, you need the keys and see, here's, this is, where, this is where it all falls apart. You need the keys to get the car to run, right? You want to find your fulfillment in Jesus, but we're not willing to adopt the culture of the kingdom. We're not willing to adopt the values of the king. Why? Because they run countercultural to our own culture that we live in. And that is a part of us because we have to make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus because he says this, or am I going to go with my culture that I'm so comfortable with and I'm just used to? And so many believers, they decide, they put a lid on themselves and they, they only can ever go this high. They keep banging up against this, the culture. They're not, they, they just can't get any higher than their culture. And the culture of the king wants to let them soar, but they stay within their culture. They can't get any higher. So the third value, or the third thing that I want us to learn and remember is that kingdom values are, and therefore kingdom living is, always subversive and counter to the cultures of the world. And again, some people refer to this as the upside-down kingdom. The kingdom values always subvert the values of the culture that we live in. Always. They're always counter. The world says more is better. Jesus says less is better. The world says, I am most important. Jesus said, we esteem others as better than ourselves. The world says, the stranger is a danger to us. Jesus says, to welcome the stranger. Now there's one. Oh, too bad we can't get into it for very long. There's one, right? The whole, we'll call it the whole immigration thing, right? You, you'll never hear me preach politics or talk politics in this church because it's a, it's a losing proposition. But, you, you know that we have a culture about this. In fact, we've got two, 
We've got two cultures. One culture is red and one culture is blue, right? And they each have thoughts on this stuff. But are we willing, whatever culture we're in, are we willing to submit our culture to the, to the culture of the king? The world says strength is, is power. And Jesus says weakness is power. The world says keep when Jesus says to give. The world says the poor, the sick, the imprisoned, the oppressed, the oppressed they're, they're all unimportant. But Jesus says that when we serve them, we have served him. The world tells us to dominate others. Jesus tells us to love others. The world focuses on appearance and behavior. Jesus focuses on our heart. And the world says, serve me, while Jesus says, serve one another in love. So as we go through Luke and we learn about the values of the king, will we adopt them? If we do, we'll find our fulfillment in Jesus. If we don't, we're always going to be searching and we're always going to be trying to reach that unreachable thing will never be satisfied. Now, why does it matter? On the back of your bulletin, it says why it matters. Why it matters is because in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come to give you life, give you life to the full. King James, and have it more abundantly. Many of you know it in that version. Jesus came to give us life. We'll never have it to the full if we don't understand these things. And Luke is one of many New Testament writers who lays it out for us, and we're going to look at that. Now, this morning, we're going to have communion, and uh, we're going to ask you to come up. So I want to ask those who are going to serve communion, would you come up right now if you're going to help serve communion? Just come on right up. Um, This is the... uh, a guy wrote a book called The Day the Revolution Began. That was Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross. It was when the revolution began. And uh, Jesus was a revolutionary, right? He, he completely revolutionized mankind's interaction with God the Father. And when we take of this bread and juice, we're remembering what Jesus did. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to come up. If for some reason you can't come up, there's some uh, guys in the back who will come and serve you wherever you're sitting. Just raise your hand. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We can read it today, 2,000, 3,000 years later, 4,000 years after Abraham, we're reading about him and his fulfillment through Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you for that. And we want to thank you this morning, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross for us. As we take this bread, you gave, to, you gave it to your disciples in the upper room that, that night, and you said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And then you said, Lord Jesus, that this cup that you were giving to them was the new agreement, the new covenant in your blood. So God, as we, as we take this bread and juice, we remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We remember his death and his suffering. In our hearts, we rejoice in the resurrection. But right now, Lord, we want to proclaim his death, the wonder of it, the love of it, as we take this bread and juice. We thank you in Jesus' name.